Clubhouse. Welcome to the True Crime TV Podcast, where our hosts cover a variety of these shows, sometimes just one episode, sometimes the whole season. Join us as we get to the bottom of the case together. This is Steph. This is Sheila. This is Colleen. And welcome back to the Pod Clubhouse coverage of The Thing About Pam. This is episode three, titled She's a Star Witness. Welcome back, ladies. Wow, I can't believe it's episode three and we have a conviction. Yeah, that went really (laughs) fast. Did the trial really last three days? That seems unrealistic, like insane. How? Is that how long murder trials last? Three days? I don't know. I remember the O.J. Simpson trial taking like nine months. So, yeah, well, I I think when the judge very obviously favors one side over the other, it goes a little faster. Well, there's that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just concerned because as someone, Steph, who like you don't know the backstory, if you're watching this now as a as a home watcher and Mm -hmm. you're just like, okay, there's six episodes in this series, but we're already at the halfway point and he's already been convicted. Where's the rest of the story? Like, I'm sure that like, that's like in your mind, like, uh, what the hell? (laughs) Well, I like immediately after watching this episode, I'm like, surely there's an appeal happening like tomorrow, right? Like this cannot be. Yes. There's definitely appeals on their way (laughs) amongst other things. And just based on, and just based on what we saw in this episode, there are so many grounds for appeal. That, oh my gosh! Like I, I'm just like, hello, conviction. Let's let's tear you up and throw you out because, well, I mean, we'll get into it. But there was just so many instances where I was like, oh, he's going to get that. He's going to get that on appeal because that's just mm-hmm. not right. It's not a good sign, you know, mentally when you're talking to your television screen, watching yeah. one of these things, going, oh, he's going to get that on appeal. <laughs> but or, or you're like yelling at the screen, objection, objection, like, <laughs> like, like okay, this good, is ridiculous, like overruled, good, good. Yes, yes. But yeah, it was just like you know the fact that there is so much more of the story left to tell and where we came into this is you know russ did it and bessie's dead and now we've gotten the conviction and it's like the third episode it just makes it makes me wonder about the people who don't know the dateline story who are just be like well what what else is coming if there's still 50 percent of the story left to tell yeah i mean i don't know what happens next but obviously i've been clued in but yeah, to me, this is nowhere near over. It just can't be. Like, this just, I, 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 it just makes no <laughs> sense. I'm like, why is there not, was that reporter in the courtroom? Like, wh- this is not happening. The reporter, which reporter? The Dateline the, reporter? Yeah. She, wasn't she in the in the courtroom? But I'm like, is there no media? Is there not anyone else besides poor Joel Schwartz saying, this is not right? <laughs> like the entire town is like, oh, ma'am, checks out, makes sense. Sure. <laughs> what? Yeah. I wanted to ask what, because um, Colleen, you mentioned it the last episode that the, the second episode had a very different tone than the first. So I wanted mm-hmm. to get your take, Colleen, on like what you thought the tone of this episode was. We at least open up sort of back in the slightly surreal, like the she has a dream sequence that kind of opens up the episode. That was freaky. That that unsettled me on so many yeah. levels. Yeah. <laughs> but mostly I felt like it was a little bit of a, a slow moving train wreck because you knew <laughs> like you knew it wasn't gonna end well for Russ. And you yes. but you yeah. didn't know exactly how we were gonna get there. So <laughs> Oh that's sort of how I felt about it. 
the opening montage where Pam is having this like dream sequence and, and everybody is her. Like she's everybody. She's the judge on the throne. Like that was unsettling mm-hmm. to me. The fact that all the jurors were Pam was the culmination of what we saw at the very end of episode two, where you have this small town mentality and everybody knows each other and they're in the bar, right? They have that scene mm-hmm. in the bar where it's like juror number two and the judge is there and she's holding like the baritone from back in the marching band days with Leah celebrating her imminent win. That was what this montage did for me. It was reinforcing the fact that somebody in a small town like a Rusferia is not going to get a fair trial. I mean, it really is kind of it's corruption, but mm-hmm. it's being overlaid in this like we're a nice small knit town. And it just it terrified me because it's like, can you get a fair trial if everybody knows each other knows this everybody, way? Yeah, yeah. It's almost worse than corruption because it's implicit bias. They don't think they're corrupt. Like Leah yeah. thinks she she's doing the is right doing thing. the right thing, and she you know is using the angles that she has. She knows she's like working the judge a little bit about it a little bit, but she thinks she's working the judge in support of putting away who she sees as the bad guy, and she's so locked in on that that she's not. Even then, Joel is trying to put evidence in front of her face. She doesn't want to see it. So mm-hmm. it's not so much corruption like, oh, I'm going to take bribes and I know I'm doing a bad thing. And she thinks she's doing a good thing. And that's kind of that's more terrifying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say, too, the, this opening dream sequence was reconfirming that that is how much Pam Hupp sees herself as like untouchable and like, um, about like she is the star witness and she is above like mm-hmm. everyone needs her and you know oh this trial you know she even kind of said some of those sentences to her husband and to whoever the neighbor the detective like oh don't worry about it i'll take care of it or right. i'm just worried about how this trial would go without me or you know it's like she yeah. just sees herself as like that high and mighty like she is the jury she is like and then also i like their narrator adding in these comments about the spider weaving the web and that it's like a web of protection or is it a web of traps like i like that that is the theme throughout these episodes and i can't wait to see how this web sort of entraps her because i feel like it's gotta come sometime (laughs) but it's like that she sees herself as a sort of mastermind weaving a web of protection. Yeah, that's actually interesting that you bring that up because the thing that what Keith was saying in that narration, like, is the spider web meant to catch the prey or is it meant to protect the spider as Pam is, you know, taking the stand? But what I also took that to be like going back to like the motive, right? So how both defense attorneys were like, this insurance policy for Leah, this is Russ's motive because Betsy changed the beneficiary to Pam. And meanwhile, Joel is like, this is, you know, Pam's motivation to kill because, you know, now she's the beneficiary. So it's the Mm -hmm. same, it's the same theme. Like I thought that was very well done because Mm -hmm. it's bringing back how people interpret the different elements of this case, right? So I like how they're weaving this you know this web this thread right to to kind of show how all of these things are really based on your own perceptions and how like colleen said how much of a slow train wreck this was to watch based on these biases and i just i really feel like that's this episode is just how you play up your biases and how you play into these biases and it's the same event it's betsy changing her life insurance and the two lawyers get a completely different result from that action could you guys feel the frustration with joel 
through this episode. I mean, I felt so bad for the guy. Like, this cannot be happening. I mean, he makes so much sense, you mm-hmm. know, when he's like, okay, we don't have proof. We don't have, <laughs> like, we don't, there is no blood. There's like, okay, all of these things add up. And yet none of those things he could get across. And it was just frustrating. And I love his little sidekick. I think his name is like Nate or Nate, something. Yeah. <laughs> and he, uh, Russ is like, is this bad? And then Joel's like, no, we're fine. And in the background, the guy's like nodding his head like, oh, yeah, yeah this no. is great. <laughs> You're in big trouble, buddy. That made me laugh. I was like, oh, gosh. Yeah, I feel like Joel is dealing with something like if you had like shown this as a Twilight Zone episode, like this wouldn't have been out of place in the Twilight Zone with what right? he, with what he has to deal with and how he has to try to mount a defense where literally all of the odds are stacking up against him. And the walls are literally closing in around him because he's not able to have any type of defense yeah. based on these motions that Leah now brings in. And then the hearing before the judge with these motions where he's not allowed <laughs> to bring up Pam. In right? what? In what sane... Pam's not on trial here. <laughs> and Yeah, but you can't exclude her from the testimony because she is linked, right? She's linked to this insurance policy. So she's inserted herself. And I really think that is like the term around Pam. Like she just inserts herself everywhere. But she's inserted herself into this. And now he can't even bring up this fact that... Pam is the beneficiary because Leah doesn't want this to be about Pam. How is he supposed to do anything? How is he supposed to mount even an ad? I'm not going to say a good defense, an adequate defense. Yeah. If the judge is so complicit with the DA. And that is definitely a problem because, again, the DA and the judge work together all the time. They live in the town. Joel's from out of town. (laughs) Their kids are on the same softball team. You know, Leah knows that Judge Menemeyer's unfortunate name in high school was Kankles. I didn't call her that, but everyone else did. Yeah. <laughs> she 100% called her that. Oh, 100%. Yeah. She might have been the originator of that. That so reminded me of her character in 13 going on 30, where she was like that super bratty, like, just like, oh, well, I didn't do that, but she, everyone else did. Right. I was like... <laughs> I, I mean, I got to hand it to Judy Greer. She's doing such a great She's job. She's so good. I love her. I, I love her as an actress, but I really hate her character in this mm-hmm. show because of how, especially this episode for me, honed so much of the disdain that she has for this case and for Russ and how she treated his friends. All of that just really showed... <laughs> It showed a couple of things for me. It showed that she's really inexperienced. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get your you guys like take on that. Like, was I being too harsh on her or, you know, no. and what I mean by that, too, like I'll say, like, she was mounting an argument in her opening statement and Joel objects. Mm-hmm. And you know, she says, this, are you going to object to my entire opening statement? I just love this <laughs> interplay between them. There's just such hostility. I love it. <laughs> But at the same time, uh, yeah, yeah, well, if you're going to keep saying objectionable things, I'll (laughs) object. Yes, I just want to get your take on that, like in terms of just how she handled the trial. How did you think that she did? Yeah, it seemed like really sloppy or disconjointed. I thought it was pretty comical how whenever she was talking about Russ's friends and she's like, and they play this stupid game where they gut aliens from him. I'm like, oh my gosh, like that has anything to do with, you know, it's just she's like grasping for straws to try to like make this game they play like tied to Betsy's murder. Like, come on. Well, and it sort of reminded me of the 70s when everyone was like, oh, Dungeon and Dragons is so Mm -hmm. weird. I'm like, it's 2011, you know, like geek culture is here, but she has to kind of, she has to knock those people down because there is alibi. 
Yeah, and like you said, that she just doesn't seem to know how to do an opening statement. And then she's like pretty messy, I guess. Or was it calculated? You know, let's talk about that for a second, because when she does her closing statement, so we'll jump a little bit ahead. Um, When she does her closing statement and she's already seen sort of the interaction with the friends at the vending machine when they're when they're trying to get the the rogue pretzels out mm-hmm. and she says to Tina that he's hanging his defense on four man babies like she's she's making her assessment here but i feel like she came to this conclusion during the closing statement to accuse mm-hmm. the four of them here so i think that she was unprepared to go up against the seasoned attorney she had taken successfully away most of his arguments and yeah. painted him in such a way using the daughter's testimony. We can talk about that because I thought that that was well done. Mm-hmm. But I think that she came to that accomplice story. And I'm going to say a story because she made it up. On, I feel like she made it up on the spot. Like she saw the yeah. interaction between them. It was just like, this is another nail in the coffin to drive home my point to the jury. I think in the past episodes, we've seen her sort of comment that maybe he didn't have any clothes on or somebody made that comment. But for her to say that in the trial, like in the closing statement, and I think he did it naked. I was like, really? Like, did no one laugh at that? Like, I thought that was pretty funny. Like, really? How did that not come up before? And I think Joel made a great point that she didn't provide any proof, actually, like that he did do it. But you're right about her closing statement. It's just like all over the place. And then all of a sudden she's throwing in these friends who covered it up. And then they were texting each other. And it's like, what? I wanted to ask you guys about manipulation. I felt like this was the other thread that was woven through this episode. And what I mean by that is Leah and how she manipulated the judge. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just use the cookie. The cookie mm-hmm. as the example. I'm going to mention the cookie. Yeah. Right. So Leah had a couple of moments of manipulation, as did Pam this episode. But Leah in particular, she was able to manipulate the judge to see her way when the judge was offering these these gluten free cookies and the kind in California. And this basically I felt like they were just mocking Joel. Yeah, they were completely. But at the same time, like Leah didn't take a cookie right away, but she saved it for the moment when she needed to like close the deal with with, mm-hmm. with the judge. Did you get that? And I just felt like she was trying to reinforce the we're town insiders together and he's an outsider and he's not going to take your cookie and we're going to make fun of California eating, even though he's not. I don't think he's from California. No, he's, he's from, from St. Like, Louis. Yeah. So but they're like, he's a big city guy. Like, again, she's trying to reinforce that us versus them mentality. Right. He's not us. And then when Leah is talking to Mariah about trying to get her to testify, I felt like this was also Ugh, it was gross. Was icky. Yes. Yeah. But I felt like this was also this element of manipulation at play as well. Like, I just thought it was just very masterfully done, unfortunately, on a teenager who is in a vulnerable position. And I just, it was one of the reasons why I really despised her character because of how she was using the daughter's love of Betsy to... For your mom. For your mom. Don't you do this for your mom? I don't know. I just literally just felt like it was the only thing that she had to go against Russ. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But this just manipulation just, it made me feel so dirty for Mm -hmm. Mariah. Yeah. That's gross. Yeah. And like, she didn't even see that she was being played. Because she's a teenager. (laughs) I just continue to be very impressed by the actress playing Mariah. I feel like she's doing a really good job of not being maudlin or over the top with it, but really showing that character feeling stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. She genuinely feels distraught. 
and like when they have Russ coming out of the courtroom after the verdict oh. was read. Oh my god. Was... I know. And you could see them both not knowing what to do or say. And I just thought that was a really powerful moment and that that actress is doing a really good job. Yeah, yeah her name is sure. Gideon Adlon. She was in the Craft Legacy uh, okay. that came out in 2020. She was in Blockers, you know, that uh, John Cena movie. Okay. She's been in Criminal Minds. So, I mean, she's done a bunch of things, but I definitely feel like this is the start of something really good for her because she mm-hmm. is doing such a great job and she can convey so much with just her face. Like she doesn't say a lot in order to get her point across. And then even when they confront Pam after Pam testifies yeah. uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, that was the other element of manipulation that Pam was making me feel grossed out too when she's she's talking about god's watching and all this other nonsense when she's talking oh my uh, gosh to... i know i made note of that i was like oh my god I'm like yeah god is watching pam <laughs> and i'm just hoping that karma catches up to you right <laughs> well we got three more episodes yeah. <laughs> one thing about joel that i wanted to ask do you think he should have pressed Russ further on getting some dirt on the girls once they learn that Mariah is going to testify? Because that's like Joel's, he says, oh, now I know what her strategy is, meaning Leah. Do you think that he should have pressed Russ further beyond Russ saying, well, I'm innocent. Like, I'm not going to have to go there. Mm, Especially since she only put Mariah on the stand. The older one seems like she has more in the way of, of troubles that you could point to. Mm-hmm. So this way, the audience at home still gets to feel good about Joel and Russ, rather than the two of them going really hard after the girls. You see Russ kind of make the sacrifice. Why wouldn't he put Russ on the stand? A lot of times, defendants don't go on the stand because that opens uh, them yeah. up to cross-examination. Okay. And Russ doesn't seem like he would handle that particularly well. <laughs> really? <laughs> The only reason I asked the question was because I feel like because Joel was his back was so far up against the wall in terms of what he was allowed to bring in, because anything about Pam and the insurance policy got squashed. But that was only against him and not against Leah, because Leah was able to bring it up. And when Joel objected, he was going to be held in contempt. I just feel that Russ was in a position where he needed like all the stops pulled. And I was kind of like, Joel, no, Joel, like you need to find out the stuff that Lily was saying about you to Pam, the prior episode, talking about like throwing his boyfriend out of the house and stuff like that. Just just to show that it's not all necessarily just Russ's temper, that there's reasons why he acted the Mm -hmm. way that he did. Like, you know, not that I think that it would have changed much of the outcome of the case, but I, I think it would have just been a little bit more of an interesting fight. Like you're basically just saying like he should have just tried a little bit harder. Yeah, like because on that point. Of... Yeah, because everything else has been taken away from him in terms mm-hmm. of what he was allowed to admit into evidence against Pam. His character was the only thing kind of left standing. Man. Oh, so I have a question about Leah. Leah is told by Mariah that Pam is holding onto their money until after the trial. Now, meanwhile, like we've seen a lot of back and forth about this money, the cop telling Pam, you know, make sure that the money is transferred into a trust. And I don't remember if he said given to the girls, but at least, you know, transferred into a trust by the time of the trial. Mm-hmm. Leah assures Mariah that, you know, Pam is all on the up and up. She's just trying to help. She's just trying to do this. My question to you is, why is nobody on the prosecution side picking up on any of the red flags from Pam? Are they just blinded by the husband did it theory? 
Yeah. Yeah. One of the detectives, I think in the very first episode, said, oh, should we, you know, look a little bit farther? And she was like, why do that? We've already got the husband. You know, like, if something comes out, then that makes them look bad. So they've got to kind of go full steam ahead. They pick their pony, so to speak. I like that. They pick their pony. <laughs> they they got to back that horse no matter what. Yeah, you've got your plan. You can't change it. One question, though. What possessed Leah to bring up the insurance policy after it had been decided that it wasn't going to be admitted into trial? Did she think that she could just get away with it because of her and the judge's relationship? And when Joel objected, he was threatened with contempt of court. Like, so what was Leah's reason for bringing it up? Did she just want to, like, throw Joel a curveball? I think it's either that or, like, Colleen was saying, like, she just doesn't have it together. Like, she's just inexperienced. And I was like, oh, yeah. And on another point. And then you're like, wait, that's not the right point. So it's like maybe she just brought it up trying to prove her point, but then forgot or didn't realize that, like, oh, I can't bring that up either. So... But yeah, I mean, the judge immediately like sort of allowing it is pretty ridiculous. But I think she knew that whatever she said or did, the judge was going to be like, oh, I'll allow it. Because I go back and forth in my mind between Leah being inexperienced and also trying to get under Joel's skin no matter what. So I just wanted to get your guys' take on, is she doing this on purpose to frazzle him? Or is she just that inexperienced that she's not able to formulate her arguments in such a way to exclude the things that she wanted excluded? Yeah. I feel like it's the latter, but I feel like all her comments to Joel personally are to pick at him and just get under his skin, you know, about the, would you like a California cookie, Joel? You know, things like yeah. that. But in the courtroom, I think she just is inexperienced and doesn't know what she's doing. I was like, and another thing. <laughs> All right. I think we need to dive into Pam because there's so much to say here. Oh my gosh. So I just want to say like, it's really funny because like, this is now the third episode that the three of us have done and it's taken us a good 25 minutes or so to get to the point where really, really ready to dive into Pam. It's just, I, I think it's there's like so much, but I think it's a really say. good testament to how well this show is written and how mm -hmm. the spacing and the timing is done that it does take us this long to kind of get through everything else. And then we can talk about Pam and like, it's almost like, like we're ramping up to it. And like, I'm so excited to get to talk to it because yeah. it just gets weirder and weirder with her. <laughs> and Colleen, like, it I don't really know does. like what you remember so much about the podcast, but I mean, like the podcast really focused on Pam from what I remember. So this is refreshing in a way to kind of see all of the other dysfunction. I mean, I think I remember for the podcast that the first episode or so was more about Russ and Betsy, and then it kind of moved over into Pam territory. Yeah. Again, they're doing a really good job of showing that she is the star of her own movie in her own head. Mm -hmm. That whole opening dream sequence in this episode and episode sail away, one. Sail away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. The narcissism is yeah. really high, especially in this episode. Um, yeah. I could have just dismissed the first episode with the introduction as just trying to be fantastical and trying to be sort of over the top but i think that this is really where she believes she's excelling that she's like come yes. on there's just more of me to go i wish there was just more of me to go <laughs> around <laughs> and her husband said we'd all be better off with more pam <laughs> <laughs> with that highly sexy you know sleep apnea machine <laughs> attached <Yeah>. to him <laughs> How he heard her with that thing on rustling in her sleep and talking in her sleep is just, it's beyond me because I think it's loud. 
You see a lot of her background manipulation in this scene with her neighbor and yes. when she's talking to the girls. Yes. So they're doing a they're doing a good job of, yeah. of showing her inserting well, herself everywhere. So calculated on all mm-hmm. of those little things, like giving mm-hmm. Mariah a bottle of water and then telling the neighbor what she saw. Well, you saw my car in the driveway, didn't you? Like, I mean, it is so manipulative and calculated that she's going around to all these people, like making she's checking in with Leah at the arcade, making sure that that's taken care of. Like she's covering all of her bases by checking in with everybody. I definitely feel like she must be like a descendant of Machiavelli or something like that, where the ends justify the means, because Mm -hmm. she is definitely skilled at manipulating people. And what you two said about how she talked to the neighbor a couple of times, you know, by car in the driveway, Mm -hmm. the Dateline producer asking questions and, you know, look at all these people (laughs) asking questions about this. None of their business. She goes, well, you're just talking to everybody, aren't you? Right. (laughs) But she also does it in such a way that she comes off nice, but at the same time time it's pretty sinister mm-hmm. yeah it's all plausible deniability right yeah so two things i don't know how you guys felt about it but i felt like the prosthetics were kind of more intrusive in this episode than they have been previously yes mm-hmm. And I think that was partially because you got a lot of extreme close-ups of her in the witness stand. And also the lighting seemed really harsh during the witness stand scenes, I guess, because they were trying to do a courtroom. So, like, the light is very down light and very harsh as opposed to when you're outside. I mean, it's always been a distraction for me through these three episodes. So it's still there. It's just really distracting. Yeah, I'll agree with especially her on the stand. Like it was just it was distracting me from the actual testimony because she was given some really good stuff. And I'm just sitting there because I had to watch it back because I was so focused on the way that her mouth her and mouth her cheeks moving. were moving. Yeah. And it just it goes back to the conversation that we had in the very first episode. Like, was this the right move when the stuff that she was saying on the stand about Joel trying to poke holes in the inconsistencies in her story, but it's being detracted because, look, I can't stop staring at her mouth. Yeah. yeah. And I, I listened to the Dateline podcast feed and they had a little featurette this week. It was just like 10, 15 minutes of Keith Morrison talking to Renee Zellweger and he spoke with Joel, the actual lawyer, and I think Russ uh, Faria was in it as well. But he talks to her a little bit about the prosthetics and she says, oh, well, you know, I had to I had to learn to act with all of this on my face and I had to learn to act kind of, she says, basically, I had to learn to act around the prosthetics and mm-hmm. that left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth because I was like, well, why not just hire somebody who can do it without having to relearn like i get that i guess this was a nice challenge for you but for an audience member it's really distracting and i don't know yeah like when it takes away from the dialogue and i have to go back and rewatch it it's too intrusive and she was very nice she was like oh i had this really great team of artisans and again i'm a backstage person i'm a costume designer so i'm like yes glad that she got people skilled at what they're doing but again did they need to be doing it Yeah, it is an interesting conversation to have because if somebody else who didn't have to wear prosthetics, you know, how would that scene have been delivered had there not been this distracting aesthetic? I've said before, I just wonder if the... I'm going to use the word fakeness of it is on purpose because of the way that they're shooting that like opening montage. And it's, you know, it's sort of meant... It feels like it's sort of meant to be a little off. 
I don't think Do you so. Know? She didn't you mention don't so? any okay. in this. And again, this was only like I who knows yeah. how long they talked in real life and they just edited it down. But she mentioned that she listened to the whole podcast in one sitting like on a drive for a vacation or something. And she seemed to genuinely be attached to the material. Okay. And she didn't act as if she were approaching it really with much in the way of like a wink and a nod or anything. Yeah. And you had shared, I mean, just to, you know, rapidly change the subject, but you mm-hmm. had shared that link with us and I listened to it. The actual Joel Schwartz makes a cameo in episode two. Yes. He plays really? the bartender in the um, oh, cool. in the scene where like juror number two is dancing with Leah and, you know, the captain <laughs> walks in and gives everyone a wink. Yeah, so apparently the Joel Schwartz is the bartender in that scene. Nice. Which I, I thought that. is just like, it's a great nod to the circus. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that this this case, you know, sort of became for him. But I do, I did, I did also take from that little featurette that you shared, Colleen, that Joel is invested in this case and the outcome. So I think the fact that he was part of it is a great way to, to show like the credibility of the writing as well. Like they're not just mm-hmm. taking the dateline podcast, although he was very heavily involved in that as well. But the fact that they're also continuing the story. Uh, mm-hmm. with the people who were involved, I think is is a really good tactic to take. Mm-hmm. I feel like we got that feeling from Joel in this episode is that like, yeah, he admits he's a, he's represented some, you know, bad people, but this is different. Like it, it does seem like Joel is seeing this as a different case and, and he's like, oh, we're not done yet. Like you kind of sort of see a shift in him like, okay, no, this guy's innocent. He also has the benefit of coming out of this as the crusading underdog. Like he's not the judge mm-hmm. who put an innocent man away. He's not the he's not the DA who who put an ultimately innocent man away. So it's probably a lot easier for him to be involved That's in true. this yeah, you're right. <laughs> than it would be the real life Leah Askey or the real life uh, Judge Miniman. But right, yeah. he came across in the interview, even in the kind of short amount of time you got with him, as a very charming guy. So I think Josh Dumel is doing a really good job there. You know, he he came yes. across to me anyway as sort of a very charismatic, funny, interesting guy. So clearly they worked on getting that part of his character in. Yes, I agree with all of that. And um, just and like just listening to the actual Joel Schwartz talk, I do agree that Josh is doing a really great job in conveying sort of that believability that you want to have about him. But I also really enjoy the fact that Joel in the show is having this reflective moment where this one, like you said, Colleen, this one is different for him. And I think he's fighting it in such a way that because he knows that Russ is innocent and he just smells such a rat and everybody is ignoring all of these red flags that he tries his damnedest with Pam on the stand to get her to agree that her story is inconsistent. And she just blames it on menopause and nobody <laughs> objects. And nobody, like he's just, I just feel so bad for... Joel and Russ in this situation and and poor Nate as well because he's just like he just looks bewildered by just everything that's happening like this is not the justice system in America I promise you it's like I mean everything she said it was like oh brain injury oh menopause oh I have a plate in my neck like what is that I'm disabled Like, it's just not a joke, but it's like, come on. She's just using every ounce of anything she can grasp. It was menopause. I was distraught over my friend dying. And then Mm -hmm. I told the cops the real story. I'm like, but they interviewed interviewed you the morning after the murder. Like, all that stuff should have been fresh in your head. Yeah. But... I don't know. It's just like the way that Joel is is coming across, like I feel the sincerity of this case to him and how invested he is in it. Because like, like you said, Colleen, like this is different for him. 
Yeah. Can we talk about the lint? <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> like, as far as, like, taking that manipulation to the next level, I'm going to limp off from the stand. <laughs> right. What? Well, because now she's got to prove the disability and, yeah. you know, reinforce her story. Oh, my gosh. Did she have that limp before? No. No, no she, she did not. <laughs> I just felt bad. But um, no, at the same time, like I thought that was very funny. And Nate and Joel are having this like side conversation like that one landed, you know, they're up against the jury and now her doing that and there's nothing they can object to. She's just walking. Right. There's nothing to yeah. object. But it's again, like that's something that lands with the jury. And they're like, oh, OK, you know, they're like, yeah, she did say she was disabled and and all the yeah, rest of it. It couldn't be her. How could she do this? Right. Couldn't be me. Yeah. I have a question about the squirrel. <laughs> I do too. Okay, you go first. My first thought was, wouldn't Minnie be able to figure out who put a dead squirrel in her yard based on Pam's probably the only person she just had a conversation with squirrels about? (laughs) But then again, Minnie doesn't seem to be too strategic in her thinking, but it just seems like pretty comical. Like, who else could it be? But what exactly was she trying to say? Well, and they keep doing this Damien and the Omen thing with her and dogs. They're like staring down the dog in the car outside the Zuma. They did that this episode. And they did that in the first episode, too, with, mm-hmm. I think it was Betsy's dog. She sort of stares down. So. Yes, yes, because oh the dog gosh, is barking outside right. her car. Yeah. The dogs can sense that the she's animals know. trouble. The animals know. Do we think that Pam did the squirrel thing herself? Like, I just feel yeah. like Pam is not, yeah. like, the kind of person, like, to get her hands, like, that kind of dirty, like, with a squirrel. Yeah. I mean, sure, she'll murder Betsy, but I don't know, a squirrel? <laughs> yeah, I, think she, I yeah. think she did it. Yeah, of course. I just have another question, and I'm so sorry. This is, like, going to come out of my mouth the way it is. Were the squirrel's nuts cut off? Oh, there was some sort of injury there. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I yes. Don't... When she opened there up was? the shoebox, she like the squirrel was laying there, and like where uh-huh. the body is like heading down towards the tail, there's like a red section, like where <gasps> like no. the squirrel genitalia would be. I can't serious? believe I just said squirrel genitalia. Oh my god! <laughs> I feel like George Carlin. Like these words have never been said before together this oh, way in the English my language. Gosh. But yeah, to me it looked like I she, didn't notice she denutted the uh, the squirrel. Yeah, yeah I was just like that's kind of disgusting. That's but really messed up. Yeah. When I sort of didn't understand the whole point of the squirrel, like, yes, the neighbor was obsessed with it and like was feeding it, but it's not like birds that'll like poop on her car or something. So I kind of didn't understand what, because with the dogs, the dogs are barking at her, the dogs are annoying her. I understand her dog interactions. I just, I didn't really understand the other than showing that she's unhinged, but I feel like we knew that. Oh, I took it very sinister. Like, I took it to be like she's willing to go. Well, a message uh, to the neighbor, like, shut yeah. the fuck up, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah, like, but, like, why the squirrel? Well, for me, like, I thought it was something that she cares about. And Pam is like, I can take this away from you so easily. Imagine what I could do. Yeah, maybe. If you keep running your trap, lady. Mm-hmm. That's how I took it. Gotcha. Yeah. I really liked how they did this little overlay of conversation and then it cuts to so she's on the phone with the bank and she's closing mm-hmm. down the trust and then she's like the second later she's in the plastic surgeon's chair which I just thought was just so well done and again this is another place where the prosthetics were very up close and personal and I was just you know not. I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't enjoying being that close to the prosthetics. Again, I just come back to that argument that you were making, Colleen, that, you know, is it as well done as we think it is if it's detracting from this scene? 
at the end, she's like, well, we do want everything to be cohesive. I want it to look as good as the rest of me. Yeah, as good as the rest of me. I was like, I mean, like the, oh, wow. the bum leg, the bum head, you know, all the things that she's got that are wrong with her. Okay. But I was laughing because like, that's what her mom had said the prior episode. Yes. was like, you'll be getting that facelift that you wanted, which I still just laugh at that entire scene that happened. So before we leave Pam, I have one more question about her. So she, while she's waiting to testify and, and she was at the end of this list of witnesses, because the room looked pretty full mm-hmm. when they first started and then they winnowed out as the different people testify. So the cop, the the supervisor, right, he's all like pissed off that, you know, he said Leah didn't need me and all the rest of it. So I got the impression that he didn't testify. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I okay. got the same impression, but I kind of didn't understand why. If you're the prosecution delivering a you know wanting to deliver a verdict of guilty you know for murder in the first degree don't you want to have the cop on the stand who led the investigation to solidify evidence to the defendant yeah i don't know why she would dismiss him she might not have wanted joel to cross-examine him yeah because remember joel was getting after the other i guess crime scene tech about oh, the yeah. luminol about photos the pictures and, and everything yeah she may just have not wanted to give joel an opening like a repeat of that where like uh-huh. the camera malfunction. Okay, that's good. I think that's I think that's yeah, you're right. Where I was going, but I didn't kind of land on that conclusion that she didn't want to highlight their inexperience further. Yeah, because that's the thing that's when you for either side when you put your witness up on the stand, you can question them with like your softball questions, but you know the other side is going to have a go, so you have to balance. Yeah, right. you want to be strategic true, yeah. on that, right? But now there was one thing that happened during that conversation with Pam and him when he came back and he was like all huffy and putting on his coat and talking about a cell phone. And he's like, Oh yeah, we can track cell phones anywhere. What was your impression of Pam's face when she was like, "Uh uh-huh, you don't say. I mean, I thought it should have given her pause, but I I didn't, get the feeling that she was like worried about it this was another one where i think i was distracted by the prosthetics because they like zoomed in real tight on her face yeah i i kind of took her reaction like he was saying that we can track cell phones anywhere anytime and she said she was like oh uh uh-huh and like her eyes got really wide and looked more at her eyes and less about her face like her mouth was Mm kind of open and like an o like oh and her eyes kind of looked like a little terrified to me like if i go back and watch it again because i did have to go back and watch this episode twice just to get past the prosthetics but i was kind of like feeling like she was a little terrified like she didn't think that they could track a cell phone based on like a tower position Mm -hmm. so i think that that was like something that she was just like "Ooh, i hope that nobody dives too deep into that and meanwhile she still is up to testify so she doesn't know what's going to be asked of her from joel's side like you said colleen like once you go on the stand like you're fair game for the other side to not have softballs lobbed at you it looked like she just tried to hide her reaction but that it wasn't much of a concern yet like uh oh but hopefully you know she's distracted everybody with all these other things that they're not gonna i know notice. he's picking up on these red flags so you yeah know, what's you know what's another thing that she can lie about to you know? i did like how she told the cop like you did a good job i got it from here as if she's yeah. more qualified than the cop i'm like what right and like he's passing the baton to her yeah to, like get this I one got over it the from finish here. line well she did right she drove home yeah. like the fact that you know mm-hmm. betsy and her were friends and you know she was afraid of rust she was like and... crying over the cancer yeah and, oh you know, my god like, that whole delusion just... scene of like her being the one to like tell betsy like i think yes. this is cancer you need to go get that checked out like and russ was smoking in the house with her like oh her narcissism was like, just through the roof 
the acting is very well done, but like you said, like the prosthetics are just, it's mm-hmm. just getting in the way. I mean, I did see some chatter this week that, you know, a lot of people are talking like Emmy for Renee Zellweger for this portrayal. I don't know yet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know yet either. I'm going to have to... Mm-hmm. Like mull that one over a bit, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I did see some chatter earlier this week after episode two aired that the critics are lining up behind her because of the prosthetics yeah, and, I mean... and because of the over-the-top portrayal, I guess, that this is giving us. It's a little bit cynical, but I think award-giving groups love a transformation. Yeah, so. I'll agree yeah. with that. Yeah, that's fair. So whether that'll be enough to get her over the finish line into actually getting the award, I don't know. But I could see or definitely her getting nominated. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you guys have anything else on Pam? So I do have one more question. It didn't really make sense to me why Pam discussed with the cop or the detective later about the conversation she had with Mariah and Lily about them suing her. And then he kind of said something to the effect of like, oh, I'll take care of it. I was confused as to what he would do about that situation or why she even went to him. Yeah, I don't know why she would have mentioned that to the cop. Or maybe it was just to get reassurance that this kind of stuff happens all the time. I was pretty confused by that. Yeah, I don't know like what he would do to take care of it other than maybe just reinforce the fact that, yeah, she's just, you know, she said that she's going to hold on to the money until after the trial. And then when it's all said and done, Mm. you know, so making sure like that money didn't maybe go to Joel, the lawyer, to pay for his defense. I don't know. You know, like maybe there's something that he could do to like reinforce with his stature. Yeah, I just was confused why she mentioned that, but maybe we'll see. I cannot wait to see what happens next because I have no idea. (laughs) I mean, Russ, poor Russ just went to prison for life. And I don't know if you heard, as the judge was reading the verdict, she was saying what each charge carried as a sentence. I mean, he's not been sentenced. Yes, you heard that it was life without parole, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, this is not good for Russ. So we talked a lot about all these red flags, but there's Mm -hmm. one person who got introduced this episode who is picking up on the red flags, and this is Kathy Singer. She's the Dateline producer, right? Finally, finally, someone was seeing the light, right? Seeing the light and uh, seeing things from what Joel is seeing. I just liked this introduction to this character. Like, I feel like she's the one to like pick up the mantle and bring us through the last three episodes. That's what I took her introduction as. Mm-hmm. Because, like we said, like this is the fifty percent of the way mark, and now Russ is in jail. So, what else could be left? Oh, wait until you hear what else could be left. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> it's either Joel has to do something, or Kathy Singer has to do something, or Pam has to mess up somehow. Which I don't see that happening in a public way that everyone would be like. <gasps> so I don't know. It's going to be interesting. But I, I like the fact that she says, you know, to Joel at the end that she thinks that there's something here, despite the verdict that she's, you know, she's not giving up because she is seeing the red flags. And she does have an interest in this story, seeing as how Pam, she even notes that when we first meet her, that Pam was the last one to see Betsy alive. So she feels that there's something that hasn't been told. So yeah, I she I, confirms I, that the story's not over yet. And that it's inconsistent. Yeah. So I'm excited okay. for episode four, because if you thought it was banana as to this point that's what everyone keeps saying and i keep saying don't tell me don't tell me i'm not gonna say a word i'm all i I just uh, you just heard the dot 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 come out yes (laughs) right just to hear like what's gonna happen next and see what happens so 
And then even my mom, she sat at the at my desk here at my house the other day, and she was like, oh, the thing about Pam, because my notes were on my desk. She's like, oh, my gosh, did you hear about the pot? I'm like, don't tell me. Like, mom, <laughs> shush. Uh, she was like, what? Like, don't tell me what happened. She was like, oh, my gosh, it's so crazy. <laughs> I'm like, okay, don't say a word. <laughs> so I'll have to just learn it as we go. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's it's going to be a, a wild last three episodes. I can yay, I love that. I can predict <laughs> as as far as what I can remember. Yeah, we've got our our chess pieces in place now, and and things mm-hmm. are going to start getting knocked down to mix metaphors or something. I don't know. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be texting you, ladies, like when I watch. Be like, oh my god. <laughs> i love tv shows that i can like text my friends I'm like okay text me when you get to the part about whatever when you find when, out what happens to when the, they're in the diner you know, right text and me when they're like, in the diner. and then the person's like oh my god you're like oh, i know i love shows that make me do that like react mm-hmm. like that so <laughs> except for this is real life so that's even yeah. crazier <laughs> no that's the part that i keep coming back to like when we talk about this and like yes, how crazy it is like, and all. i'm like but now there's an innocent man that just got sent to prison Yes. yes, we can That's talk. What's scary about it too. If we wanted to talk just about the reproach this would be on the American judicial system, mm-hmm. we could, you know, we could spend a whole podcast doing that. But this is a real story, and yeah. I mean, from what I remember, this is pretty hewn closely to the source material that they yeah. haven't really taken too many liberties, from what I remember. And it's just, it's just when you have narcissistic sociopaths in your, in your way and you don't know Mm -hmm. that they're narcissistic sociopaths, like it's scary what they can do. Like a man got got sent to prison for the rest of his life without the ability for parole. I think that's what I keep thinking about too, is that it's scary to look at a court case and think that like, this could be you. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's, and it's just not making sense. And then your family's making, just answering questions from the defense saying yes or no. Did he yell at you? Well, yes. And then that makes you look like a murderer. Like that is really scary that, and as the witness, they can't sort of elaborate. And then they're always Mm -hmm. like, oh, just answer the question. Like that's kind of crazy. Right. Because then you get objections for speculation position yes mm-hmm. like please don't make me say something that just answering yes or no but not getting the full story you know yeah that's really well that's what we talked about earlier like crazy. this perception mentality like if you perceive the motive with the insurance policy to be for your side or against your side same mm-hmm. thing here it's like well if i just ask a question what husband and wife haven't had an argument Right. Right. Well, so couple hasn't you know, yelled, raised their voice at each other. Exactly. So I'm sure my neighbors would be like, oh, yeah, they fight all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my neighbors have also told me, yeah, like, you know, I heard you. And like, even I brushed my teeth and went to bed that time. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> we used to live in this apartment and the couple above us yelled at each other all the time. <laughs> and so we would just like turn our TV off and like lay on the couch and just like listen. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, it's his own form it's of entertainment, entertaining. right? <laughs> yeah. It really was. Like, but then I remember, like, I wonder if they ever heard us, like, doing the same thing, like, ye- yelling at each other. And, oh, gosh. No one heard that, right? Fun <laughs> times. The next one is called She's a Loving Daughter. Mm. Oh, oh we so we're going to get moms. more of her mom. <laughs> oh, jeez. Mm. Why do we need to talk about the mom? You know, we got three more hours to fill, so we've got to... Well, and she oh. mentioned in the first episode that her mom had passed away. So I, okay, I yeah. thought that yeah. that was the case, and then you guys didn't mention it, and then she was like, "Take." And I, we said something else about the mom, and I thought to myself, "I thought she died." 
Yeah, and then I, think, I never I said anything because I just yeah. was like, maybe I misheard. But she did yeah. say that, right? Yep, she did say that her mom had recently passed away. Right, because she was talking okay. about like inheritance and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And how she doesn't need money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is very interesting. Okay, see, I thought I picked up on that, but then was like, nah, maybe I'm wrong. Healthy. All right, so that does it for us for this episode of The Thing About Pam. This one was, uh, she's the star witness. If you could head on over to wherever you got this podcast from to rate, review, and subscribe. Five-star reviews are very helpful. It helps a lot of other people find the show. It helps visibility of the show so we can get some feedback and make sure that we're doing all the right things that you want to hear. So thanks for listening. I appreciate it. This is Steph. And this is Sheila. This is Colleen. Thanks for so much for listening. We'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh...